Uh, we have been looking through uh, and moving through a series on the Lord's Prayer for the last couple of weeks. We've been uh, jumping into that and looked at the, uh, the, the, how we address God as our Father and how that's the invitation into prayer a couple weeks ago. Then Ben jump-started us last week with a grand vision of looking at this God who is praiseworthy and how in praising him it expands our vision to the ends of the earth. The God who deserves to be worshipped and is worthy of worship by all tribes, tongues, and nations. And this morning I want to take a break, though, from looking at each of those, each phrase within the Lord's Prayer and look at something fairly practical for just a moment. For this week, take a break before we move on to our, His Kingdom Come to talk about how we actually engage in prayer in a practical way. And so this morning's going to be a fair amount of instruction, but I think it's going to be instruction on in an area of prayer into your devotional life that may be new to many of you, but is critical for your prayer life. Let's read from Psalm chapter 1. I'll read through the whole chapter. It's, verse, it's six verses long. Hear God's word. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, But they are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This ends the reading of God's holy and Aaron is infallible words. May the grass wither and the flower fade. May the word of our God stand forever. Well, we're taking a break this morning of looking there line by line through the Lord's Prayer in order to give some instruction in a Christian practice that is critical for you to have a deep and profound prayer life. As I was sitting there listening to Ben last week, one of the questions, and this is why it's sometimes it's helpful for me to just sit out there with, with y'all and, and receive the word as you do. As I was sitting there, one of the questions that was going through my head is in, in the challenges as I was reflecting on the, the call to be um, adoring God in our prayer life is this— is that we tend to think of adoring God in our prayer life in a very odd, mechanical way. That we tend to think of it as like, okay, it's, you know, it's the Acts acrostic, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. Let's start with the adoration. And so we just start saying big words to God about how great he is. God, you are holy and you are majestic and, you know, within about 10 seconds we run out of words and we go, okay, maybe I'm done praising the Lord now. And the question I have as, as I was sitting there was this question is, how do we develop a heart and how do we get to a place in our devotional lives in such a way that we are thrust into, drawn into worshiping the Lord in an actual, authentic, and organic way? That actually, just like you would somebody who you greatly love, that you actually have words that are real and authentic, that you actually say to them in a relationship about how wonderful they are. And then how do you this happen in your prayer life? Well, we see the instruction on prayer in this, this that we're going through in the New Testament. The primary place of instruction on prayer is here the Lord's Prayer, and that's what we're going through this semester. But the other primary place in which the Scriptures teaches you how to pray is a, actually a whole book. And what book is that? The book of Psalms. It's essentially a book of psalms, of, of prayers, and of songs to the Lord's. How do you pray? We ask that question. Well, how do, you want to, how do you pray? You look to the Lord's Prayer and you look to the Psalms. The Psalms are primarily or mainly prayers. So we're going to look to them to see how we should pray. And then we're going to look to the very first Psalm this morning, Psalm chapter 1. But it's interesting. The very first book or the very first page of the so-called prayer book of the Old Testament is not a prayer at all, is it? It's actually a writing or a meditation on the importance of meditation for your prayer life. 
It's a meditation on meditation. It is a reflection on the power and the centricity of meditation in order to draw you into praise and worship and to a life of blessedness. What most scholars and commentators over the years have pointed out is that this psalm, Psalm chapter 1, is the introduction to the entire Psalter. In other words, what David or the psalmist here is giving to us is a, here is how you are to read the Psalter, and here's why you should read and pray to the Psalter. Because you don't want to be like the wicked man. Instead, you want to ponder and meditate and delight in the Lord. And therefore, if you're going to do that, use this Psalter, use these songs and these prayers as a means to help you ponder on how great God is. And you do know that Psalm 1 is there on purpose, right? This is some of the things that makes many evangelicals really uncomfortable, but the Psalms were actually edited. Someone came in and put them in a particular order, and therefore Psalm 1 is where it's there, is there on purpose. It's telling us how to read the rest of the Psalms. What Eugene Peterson would say about this, and he's one of the great commentators of the 20th century on the book of Psalms, is that what, what we have discovered and what Christians have discovered over the last couple of millennia is that your prayer life and the depth of your prayer life actually flows out of This spiritual discipline and this practice that we call meditation. Meditation. It's there in the text. Verse 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Here's what I want you to see this morning. The reason why I want to look at meditation is this. is We're looking at how to pray. And throughout this series, what I want to do is beckon you into prayer. That each of these lines of the Lord's Prayer, to woo you to praying, that you would long to pray because you have a Father who welcomes you. That you long to worship God because you have a God who is praiseworthy. But I also want to look at this practical means. This, what I will call the on-ramp to prayer. And the on-ramp to a deep and profound prayer life is this old discipline and often neglected discipline of the Christian life called meditation meditation so we're going to give you three things to look at this morning i'm going to take you some instruction on how to meditate the first thing i'm going to look at this morning is the process that moves you into meditation the process into meditation in a way this morning here's what i'm saying as you may have heard of the term christian as a christian the word devotions we use it in a, as like the direct object of many of our words. Hey, kids, let's have our devotions now. Usually we have, it comes from the word devoted. We want to be devoted to something. And what do we want to devote ourselves to in our devotions? What are we devoting ourselves to in our devotions? We're devoting ourselves to gazing upon the Lord We're spending time with God. We're devoting a segment and maybe at the beginning or the end of our day to spending time in intentional time with the Lord. And so essentially what I'm giving you here in this process into meditation is the process for a personal devotional life. Here's the process or the steps. The first is this, is to get quiet. Get quiet. Psalm 1 verse 1, it says this, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. What is this? He is saying, listen, the one who is blessed in this life, the one who is truly a happy man, is the one who actually silences the world around them. Who says, I'm going to reject and neglect, I'm going to push aside all the bad counsel of the world. And what is the counsel of our world? It is not necessarily actively given, but it is passively given. The counsel of our world is this, is you need noise, you need speed, you need to stay busy in this world in order to be happy. The counsel of this world is this, is that you constantly have to be on the move and on the run. But the counsel of the blessed man is the one who gets quiet with God himself, as the one who gets quiet and hears from the voice of God. What this means is this, is you have to turn off the TV and the radio, not necessarily because there's evil and wicked things there, although there are. There's mindless, a lot of mindless drivel there. It, it, it means shutting down the podcast, not because all the podcasts you listen to are bad. It's because you constantly have become addicted to noise. As you get quiet, 
that you cut yourselves off from the distractions of the world, both good and bad. You just cut yourself off from the things that would beckon your heart to dedicate your eyes and your heart and your emotions to other things. And you say, I want my heart and my soul to listen to one thing and one thing only. See, the counsel of the world is to avoid pain, to avoid the aches of loneliness through narcotics. But our best narcotic is this, the narcotic that is driving us crazy literally into the states of depression and driving us to all sorts of therapists in this world is our constant busyness and our inability to get quiet with God. And the old and greatest thinkers have understood this. Blaise Pascal said this, the soul or the center of man's unhappiness is that he does not know how to sit alone, quietly in a room. Is that you? I actually had to start doing this last month. I had to try to create a goal, just some little practice. I don't create um, New Year's resolutions usually. I create goals, but I don't usually have the New Year's resolutions. But I try to have some sort of resolution for a particular month. You know, 30 days of a habit. And so one of the things I tried to do last month is I found that every time I got in the car, I was listening to a podcast or to an audiobook. Really great things. I was listening to really, to preaching and to all kinds of great stuff, great books on history. And yet what I found is what my commitment was, actually I have these prayer cards and I have this time where I sit in the car for 15 to 20 minutes driving around Carrollton every day and I could actually talk to God during that time. I could shut down the noise of the radio even of the worship music, as great as it is, and instead talk to my God and work through my prayer cards, calling out before the Lord, quieting my soul before him. You see, the sin, we, we look at this and we say, oh, standing in the way of the wicked, listening to the scoffers, and we think that this is really, really terrible, awful people, but the sin that many of us have is not that we shake our fist at God like the so-called wicked people, but that we daily determine to rebel against God by filling our lives with so many other things than actually spending time with him, than facing up to our desperate need for him. And very practically, I might say this. This is one of the challenges that I think you all will face when it comes to time with the Lord, is that you, practically speaking, if you try to get quiet... And if you were to actually, I would challenge you to try to do this this afternoon or this morning, to literally sit quietly before the Lord. And yet your system, your brain, your whole bodily system is so addicted to noise and to activity that what you will actually find is this, is that you will find in your spirit deep agitation. And you'll actually find yourself getting angry because you don't, you know, just like anybody who goes through has an addiction and they're trying to remove that addictive item, that their spirit goes through withdrawal, that their system goes through withdrawal, that you literally would have to learn how to go through withdrawal to where you're the point where you could sit with God quietly. Your system will say, go do something. Listen to something. You won't know how to even talk to God. You'll find it frustrating. See, our lust for diversion actually proves our unhappiness. For we are truly, if we were truly happy, then we would not have to divert ourselves with all sorts of noise and activity in our lives. We would be happy before the Lord. So how do we do this? How do we do this? How do we sit silently before the Lord in the midst of all these distractions? You know, there's a really, there's a really simple way. One of the most simplest ways to pray was given by Martin Luther. And he gave it to a simple man. One day, Martin Luther went to his barber shop. And if you ever seen Martin Luther's barber, he was not a very, his haircut, you know he wasn't a very good barber. He had one of those bowl haircuts, and he looked awful. And so he goes to the barber, and he's sitting in the barber chair, and the barber actually asks him this question. He says, Martin Luther, you talk about medication a lot. How do you do that? And Luther said this, let me write you a letter. And so Luther wrote a 40-page letter to his barber on how to pray. And here is part of what he said. It's actually known this. You can find it all over Google. It's simply entitled, A Simple Way to Pray. Here's what he said to his barber. A good, clever barber must have his thoughts, mind, and eyes concentrated upon the razor and the beard and not forget where he is in his stroke and shave. If he keeps talking or looking around or thinking of something else, he is likely to cut a man's mouth or nose or even his throat's. In other words, what he's saying is this, if you're going to pray, you need to concentrate on it. 
If you're going to meditate, have a conversation with God, you actually have to concentrate on God. In other words, he's saying you have to know how to concentrate. He's saying, listen, you're a barber. You know how to concentrate. It helps. And he continues. It is a good thing to let meditation be your first business in the morning and your last in the evening. Guard yourself against such deceitful thoughts that keep whispering, that say this, wait a while. In an hour or so, then I will meditate. I must first finish this or that. We have to watch out so we may not get weaned from the habit of, ha- of meditation by fooling ourselves that our certain job is more urgent until finally we get cold, weary, and sluggish. In other words, what's Martin Luther's prescription why so many of you have a cold, weary, and sluggish personal life? A cold, weary, and sluggish spiritual and emotional life. Why are you so depressed? Why are you so tired all the time? Why? Because you're a person who has lived your life not single-minded, focused on the Lord, but constantly distracted by all that's going on. Luther is saying the same thing that Psalm 1 is teaching, that the thing that you desperately need is to delight yourself in the word of God, in the Lord himself. So first, we got to get quiet. Second, the second is read the words. Read the word, the process of meditation, it begins with getting quiet, then second, then hearing the noise from the voice of God himself. What is the object of meditation? Psalm 1 verse 2 says this, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. If you're going to meditate, what do you meditate upon? Is meditation simply mean that you put your fingers together and you hum is that what this is, what, what Christian meditation is? No, meditation is to reflect and delight in, to mull over the word of God. The key word here is actually the word law. In the Hebrew, it is the word Torah. And the word Torah does not actually simply mean law. In, in David's day, it actually meant something far greater. It was a big word. It encompassed a lot of aspects of the life of Israel. The word Torah meant all of God's words and acts in this world. In other words, it encased both the law and all that God had done. Torah means the whole story of God's words and works in this world. And so what you'll see in the psalmist, the psalmist throughout the psalms will talk about how great God's law is and reflect on the various aspects of it. That's traditionally how we think of Torah. But you'll actually, as you go through the Psalms, you'll see all of these meditations, these prayers and delighting upon the history of Israel, where he'll go back and reflect upon the various great things that God has done in the life and the history of Israel. Therefore, in order for you and I to understand this word, what does it mean to delight in the law of God? It means to delight in the story of God, all his works and words in the world, which now means far more than what David had, doesn't it? It means we reflect upon, we meditate upon the word of God in all of its fullness. That means Old Testament and New Testament. It means the good work of Jesus Christ in the gospel. We are delighting in these things. Delighting in who God has revealed himself to be. Delighting in the way God has worked on our behalf. Delighting in the way God has communicated with us. Now this is important. And this is a critical point of clarification to help some of you who are deeply distressed that I would even use this word meditation. That when you hear this word meditation, you begin to think of mystical things and weird behavior. And that this is where when Christians get involved in meditation, they start doing bizarre things. and They go off the rails. But understand this, that there is a radical difference between biblical meditation and what David talks about meditation and what we histor- culturally are thinking of meditation. David is not talking about going to your yoga studio and humming. He is not talking about transcendental meditation or Eastern mystical meditation. That's actually what our culture thinks of as meditation now. Let me suggest to you this, that actually transcendental or Eastern meditation and biblical meditation are quite the opposite from one another. The way you would be taught to meditate in your, prayer, in your yoga studio or in some Eastern mystical practice, it would be this. It would say, block your rationality. Silence every other voice. Be completely quiet. Try to empty your mind. Don't try to think. No thinking allowed. But is that what's going on with Christian meditation? No. 
It's actually quite the opposite. In biblical and Christian meditation, the opposite is what's going on. In biblical meditation, you're actually, instead of emptying your mind, you're filling your mind with truth. You're putting truth in your mind and you're rolling it over and over and over again. This is what he's calling us to do. Tim Keller actually talks about it. He gives, says this about meditation. He says, let me tell you what meditation is. Basically, meditation is the affecting of your heart through the intense use of the mind. That you're actually not quieting your mind entirely. You're not flushing your mind out. You're not stopping thinking, but you're thinking about the things of God. And you're thinking about them very intentionally and consciously. And so we are, what are we to meditate upon? We're supposed to meditate on the word of God. Now you might sound, you might say this, okay, Andrew, you're, you essentially have been giving me what I do for my typical devotions. I open my Bible and I, I have my devotional reading and I read my scripture, whatever Bible reading plan maybe I'm going through and I, I read it for 10 or 15 minutes and then I, I turn over and I, I begin to pray. I, you know, start talking to God, and I go through my Acts acrostic. All right, we'll start with adoration. Let's see whether my big words are. And then I confess my sins, and I thank God, and then I start asking God for some things. That's the typical devotional. But what I say is this, is that without the clear practice of meditation, which is the bridge between your Bible reading and your prayer life, then for many of you, it's the reason why, because you don't have this practice, that your devotional life is stale, rote, and boring. I would actually say this, that the way most of us do our devotional lives is socially awkward in our relationship with God. I mean, when you sit with somebody and you go, okay, you have your 10 minutes to speak to me, and then and when they're done with their 10 minutes, you completely change the subject. They're talking, so God's sitting here talking about, hey, man, I, I'm holy, and I'm mighty, and I'm awesome, and, and you suddenly, you start talking to God in prayer, and you come over here, and you just go, yeah, I just want to talk about you as my father, and you completely change the subject. You ever had somebody in your life who's like that, who doesn't seem to be listening to you at all, and they're suddenly, that's how your, many of your devotional lives are going about, that instead of actually meditating on the word of God in such a way that it leads you to respond in an organic, natural way to what God says in your prayer life, into, into your prayers, you actually have this socially awkward kind of thing going on in the way that you're interacting with God. It is rote, and it's awkward, and it's crunchy, and it's stale, and it's over really structured. Therefore, the process of meditation, the process here is not just to get quiet before the Lord. It's not simply to read your Bible and do your devotions, but it's to chew on the word. This is the third part. So you get quiet, you read the word, and then you chew on the word until it leads your heart, until your heart is affected into prayer. In other words, you're thinking enough, you're pondering the truth of God enough to the point that you naturally and organically are wooed into wanting to talk back to God. Here's my definition of what meditation is. It is the pondering of the truth of God to the point that your heart is affected. Here, I'll talk to a, a, one of the, a, a phrase that I've, I've heard before about how long you're supposed to work out. How many sets you do or how many reps do you do? Well, an easy way to understand how many reps or sets you're supposed to do when you work out is this. You go until you feel the burn. And for too many of us are chewing on the word of God. We go until, well, until we've determined that we're done. Okay, I read that, close the Bible, move on. Instead of going and pondering the truth of who God is and what he has said in his word until our hearts are affected the art of meditation, and it is an art. It is an art that any of us can learn, but it is the art of staying quiet before the Lord, listening to him, mulling over what he has to say to us in a gaze upon how great God is. Meditation is not simply reading. Devotions are not simply reading the Bible, nor is it simply prayer, which is to say that it is neither. Meditation is not just simply reading your Bible, and it's not simply prayer. It is a mix of both. It is a skill that is a skill that you can learn, no less than you can learn to play the piano. 
but it is a skill that will end in delight. And the Bible actually gives us, and to help you understand what meditation is, is it gives us this word chew. It gives us two animal illustrations to help us understand what meditation is. The Hebrew word for meditation literally means to mumble to oneself. To say something over and over to oneself, to mumble the gospel, to mumble the truth of the word of God to yourself, the truth of it, to mull over it over and over and over again. I've actually heard it described this way, that meditation is like how a, ch- a cow chews the cud, chews his food. How does a, ch- a cow eat? A cow will eat and they chew, right, with that awkward bite, and then they swallow it down, they take a nap, and then what do they do? Kids, they vomit it back up, and they chew on it some more, getting more nutrients out of it, and then swallowing it back down. So write this down. Your Bible reading, you should read your Bible like a cow. Read your Bible like a cow. That's what it means to meditate. Be like the cow. Don't eat more chicken. Be more like cows. This is who you're supposed to be. So husbands, here's what I dare you to do. Tomorrow morning as your wife is doing her devotions, pop your head in the room and simply go, moo. And if she throws her Bible at you like Moses did the Ten Commandments to the people of Israel, then you know she didn't listen today. The word meditation is not just simply used in the Psalms, but it's actually most provocatively used in the book of Isaiah. It's another animal. The same word that is used, uh, the same word for meditation that is used here in Psalm 1 is actually also used in Isaiah 31, verse 4. And there, and actually, it's the same word that is translated meditate, and it is used to describe a lion hovering over its prey. The thing that it has just killed, that it is hovering over it, considering it, enjoying it. Biblical meditation is filling your mind and your thoughts of God, and you chew on it. And for so many of you, the reason why your devotional life is so stale is because you chew too much. Your mom said to take small bites. So take small bites. That you take a bite of God's word and you chew on it, you meditate on it, you reflect on it, you metabolize it until it becomes nourishment in your system. You see, you're not just reading this book, but you pick this book up and literally it says in Ezekiel, you eat this book. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Where do you learn about the goodness of the Lord? In his words. How are you going to taste it? You've got to mull over it. Put it in your mouth. Chew on it. And if I could be very direct and very specific in to, of application to our context today, in fact, to challenge some of you to this, to actually bring this into focus, to help some of you learn to meditate, it's this. Is that some of you need to stop listening to preaching. And here's what I'm saying is this is that they're in a world of unending access to the best Christian music and to the best Christian preachers there are in the world, I might suggest to you that you should take smaller bites of God's truth. That if you actually will sit there day in and day out and you listen to five or six sermons, what you're doing is for some of you, you have spiritual OCD in such a way that you have so much stuff going inside of your brain that you're never processing God's truth before him and it's driving you crazy. You don't have the ability spiritually to process all the truths that are being given to you. And you're having somebody else fill you up. They're doing the chewing for you and spitting it like a mother bird into your mouth. And so you feel full and you feel overfull because they filled your mouth up and you haven't actually learned how to chew it up yourself. You pile sermon upon sermon and challenge upon challenge and call upon call, and you never actually go before the Lord and dwell with your God. And so might I ask you to do this? Would you silence the podcasts? And listen, you don't, I mean, you can check out when I preach. That's fine. Find, listen to one sermon a week and actually mull over it. It doesn't have to be me. Find somebody else. But this idea, you, some of you have very agitated souls, Because you have not learned what it is to sit before God and process the truth that he has given you from the word in a way that, in such a way that leads you to worship. Would you do that? Would you quiet your heart? It is important for us to resist the temptation to pass over many passages superficially. 
And so many of you listen to so many sermons and your devotional time is so quick that you actually mimic the culture around you in that the rushing of your devotional time reflects your internal emotional and spiritual state. It's fast. It's loud. There's too much going on. And what's your, it's your internal state that needs to be transformed. See, what I'm asking you to do here is to not simply study the word of God, but meditate on it. Study to the point of worship. Study to the point where you can apply the word of God. You chew on it until it is applied. And by application, because we, here's how you, you normally think of application. You think application is, I have come up with something from my Bible study to do. Application means I got to go share my faith. And that may be a right and good application. But what I'm talking about is that you apply the word to your heart in such a way that your heart groans before the Lord and goes, I don't share my faith. My God is worthy of being exalted in the way I live. My God is worthy of me delighting him in him in such a way that I talk about with him with my neighbor, and yet I don't. And you feel a burn in your heart that says, my goodness, I need something more. Spirit of the living God, would you empower me? Would you fill me for this work? Suddenly you begin to pray prayers that are vibrant and deep and alive. This is what I'm talking about with meditation is that you move, you study the scriptures and you reflect on the truth of the scriptures until your heart burns. So that's the process. That's the process. So you want to know how to, how to make it happen? Practically speaking? So the second thing I want you to see, so we have the process and you're like, the practical Aspects. So process into meditation I just gave you. Now the practice of medication, meditation. How do you do this practically? Well, I feel a little bit reluctant to give an overly rigid structure. That's not how meditation is supposed to be. But for some of you, it's, this may be so new and so odd that it's, you know, I have to put some training wheels on and someday maybe you'll be able to take the training wheels off. But let me give you some training wheels today. Let's go back to Luther and his barber. In his little essay, A Simple Way to Pray, his 40-page letter to his barber, Luther said this, here's how you meditate. He said, you start with your Bible study, and that's simply this, that you look down and you write down what the Bible says. Here's what it says. Here's the principle of what it's telling me to do. Then here's three starter questions for meditation. And this is what meditate, the best way to meditate is just to start asking questions. Right? We saw it this morning. How does Asaph meditate in Psalm 77? What does he do? He just starts asking himself questions. Was God's steadfast love gone? Is God no longer compassionate? He's pressing the truths in. So Luther actually suggests three questions. The first question is this. How does this truth lead me to praise God? Or I've said it another way, what can I praise God for with regard to this truth? So question two, what sins do I need to confess in light of this truth? And third, what do I need to ask God for in light of this truth? Let me just go through each of these real quick. Question one, how does this truth lead me to praise God? So the truth, if the truth is God is not just a king, is what we looked at a couple weeks ago. God is not just a shepherd, but he's a father. And that's what the text says in Matthew chapter 6. Martin Luther would say, don't move on too quickly from that. Stop and mull over that. Reflect upon that. Here's an exercise. Ask yourself this question. What, what characteristic that God is trying to, that is praiseworthy about God that he's reflecting here? So the, the, what it's saying in Matthew 6 in the introduction and the welcome into prayer is that my God is my father. And he would ask himself, say, well, my goodness, how about I come up with 20 ways in which God reveals himself to be my father? How is he, how is he a good father to me? And then what you'll begin to see, find is that you'll naturally find yourself entering into the prayer. Hallowed be thy name. Oh, Father, and your goodness to me, you're the God who provides for me. Oh, Father, hallowed be thy name, that you're the provider, Father, that you're the protector, Father, that you're the Father who welcomes me into your bosom. That you're the Father who comforts me and washes, wipes away my tears. Now what are you doing? 
You no longer have you, have you resolved to go down to simply large-scale adoration words, but now you're actually praising the Lord out of, out of your own reflections upon the Word of God. What sins do I need to confess in light of this truth right now? You know, then you start saying, how have I not trusted in God my Father? You say, you say you're my provider. You're the God who puts bacon on the table every day. You're the God who has who called me your child. You said, I'll never leave you. I said, Le-, you said, legally, I, you've adopted me. How am I acting like an orphan? How have I not trusted you? Suddenly, your, your meditations will lead into prayers of confession. Father, forgive me for, treating, for living my life as an orphan, for not trusting in your love and affection over me. And then you ask, what do I need God to ask God for in light of all this? That, that's, these are meditation questions. So we took some risks in regards to our worship order this morning. So I'll take some risks. I've done this in front of discipleship groups before, but I'm simply gonna try to show you how to do this. I didn't write this down. I'm gonna show you how to have devotions and how to meditate, and we'll see how the Spirit Leads. I'm going, to, I'm going to do my devotions from Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 through 18. I think it'll be on the screen for you. And here's how I do mine. I simply sit before the Lord and I have a simple prayer. And I go like this. So I'll start my devotions now. God, this is so strange. I'm going, to stand, I'm going to sit here and I'm going to, I want you to, to meet with me. Would you teach me, God? Would you meet with me in front of 200 people? So fill me with your spirit to understand your word. Help me to chew on it. Lord, I want you. More than I want to impress these people, I want you, Lord. So drive away the distractions. Let me experience and dwell with you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Matthew 6 says this, 16 through 18, and when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Man, your word is saying there that I shouldn't be fasting in order to be seen by others that the principle that of my religious activity should not be to have the praise of other people. So truly I say to you, they have received their rewards. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So I simply ask myself this question, what does this verse say? This verse is saying the principle is this, religious activity, fasting in particular, I, want, I, want, I should want God more than I want to impress other people. So I'm going to ask myself three questions to, to meditate. How does this truth lead me to praise you, God? What can I praise you for here in regard to the truth that you've communicated to me about yourself, Lord. God, I thank you that you're the God who promises to see me. But Lord, I don't need, as odd as this is to do my devotions in front of other people, I don't need people to see me. Lord, I confess that my heart's desire is I want people to approve of me. But I want, what I want is for you to see me. God, thank you that you're the seeing God. I think of Hagar in the wilderness when she cried out to you when she had been cast away. And yet you show up and you say you're the seeing God. Father, would you see me? Would you see me in my fear in this moment? God, you're so good that you would, look, you would look down from heaven and you would see me in this moment. 
and that I can come before you in my prayer life, and you, and you, you know me. Man, how does this truth lead me to confess my sins? <laughs> Lord, I love to be seen by other people. Lord, you know, the desire of my heart is that um, people would approve of me, that they would not look at me as a failure. So Lord, forgive me for living my life as if I am not living before an audience of one. God, I confess to you that this has torn up my heart, that I'm constantly trying to please people over here and over here and over here, and I don't, I don't know how to do it, God. And it's led me to anxiety and stress. And frankly, Lord, it's made me angry at people and their unfair expectations of me. So restore me to you, God. What do I need, Lord? What do I need from you? Oh, God, I pray that you'd quiet the voice of the evil one who would like to convince me that I need the approval of men. Lord, I pray that you would quiet, I pray that you draw me in the early parts of the morning to hear, to come before you. Lord, I, I pray that, Lord, I, I want to have more lunch times and more times where I, I have prayer walks, and yet I fill up my schedule with too many meetings instead of walking with you because I care about having a full calendar and how that will make me look more than I care about meeting with you. So God, I pray that you'd give me the resolve to say no. To set aside time to be with you, to walk with you. Thanks for being with me here in this moment. I pray that you'd fill me up now. That I live my life with the beautiful truth that, Lord, you see me very specifically. That you're looking down upon me. That wherever I go, my counseling appointment this afternoon, uh, my meeting after church, that, Lord, you see me in these moments. That when I put my kids to bed, you see me. And that that would, make, that would calm me down, that that would slow me down, Lord. That I love people better because of that. Pray all these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. So what do you see? So the practice of meditation. You get quiet before the Lord. You mull over his words. Three questions for a barber. You're smarter than a barber. Two questions for you, and then we'll close, because this is such a weird thing. So we all want to get out of here, don't we? Now we're like, will someone please cut the tension of this? Two questions. You look at this and you go, man, this totally, I could be so discouraged by looking at this. One, you're a pastor and you just automatically know how to apply the word. No. The word is simple. And, and perhaps you're looking at this and you're going, the discouraging question of like, I have been doing my devotions for 30 years and they're still stale. I've been doing something like what you just did and it's still stale and I don't see the fruit in my life like it talks about in Psalm 1. I don't feel like a tree planted by streams of water that is fruitful. Here's some encouraging words for you. For those of you who've been doing devotions for a long time or maybe for just a brief period of time and yet you're getting antsy already. Notice the metaphor it doesn't say that you're a pipe planted by streams of water. The water doesn't flow in one, one side and immediately flow out the other. You're a tree, which means what? Your nourishment comes over a long period of time, and you may never. It's in the quiet that you are nourished and you feed upon the water of God's words. And so what I want you to see is that like a tree, it takes a long time. 
Water comes in and out comes fruit, but it takes place over a long period of time. Therefore, take time. Both literally day in and day out, give time to your time with the Lord, but also be patient with the, work, with the water's work in your roots and in your life for you to be producing fruit. This is how meditation works. But also understand this. What's it say? It's like a tree that yields its fruit in season. Which means God has given us a metaphor that reflects something about your life. That there will be times in which your life will look rather fruitless. And you're going, God, I've been having my time with you. Where's all the happiness and the blessedness and the joy and the fruitfulness and the love and the joy and the peace and the patience and all that other stuff? Where is it? Understand the very metaphor says that there will be seasons in which you will express those fruits beautifully and abundantly and then there will be the winter. And yet you continue day in and day out, week in and week out, month in and month out, even when your branches appear bare. What do the roots do in the winter? They go deep. So that in, this, in their proper season, they produce greater and more abundant fruit. And so if you're discouraged this morning by the lack of fruitfulness of your devotional, your meditation time, the metaphor is for you. It be encouraged by the slowness of the metaphor. But also understand this, one other question, which is this. You ever had this experience? What if you actually meditate on God's words? And you look at your life and you're like, my life reflects the wicked. That as soon as I reflect, I meditate on God's word, I'm suddenly, I'm, I'm crushed, I'm hit with all that is wrong with me. You know, in Psalm 1, verses 4 through 6, it's such, a, it's such a difficult thing. This is what he says, those who do not delight in the law of God, how many of you perfectly delight in God's law? If you don't perfectly delight in God's law, this is who he says you are. In verses 4 through 6, the wicked are not so. They don't delight in God's law, but instead they are like chaff. That's, the, that's like the stuff you just throw away and you burn up. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor the sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. What is he saying? Listen, so you look at that and you go, oh my goodness, I don't love the Ten Commandments. I mean, I've never read the Ten Commandments and just go, man, I just love God's law. No, what, is, what happens to you when you read the Ten Commandments and you read God's law? You either go, that's weird, or oh my goodness, I'm terrible. This is Isaiah's experience in Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah is having meditation time with God in the temple. He goes in for his morning meditative devotional time. He's got his cup of coffee there. And guess what happens? God in his holiness shows up. And is Isaiah delighted by this? No. Isaiah is quite upset by this. And he goes, what? Woe is me, I am undone. I am a sinner. Do you think he's delighting in the law of God and the, the beautiful character of God in that moment? So how in the world do you and I look at Jesus and look at the good news of the gospel and look at the law of God and not come away and just say, man, I, just, I am unworthy. I am like the wicked. It was beautiful truth that God, through the gospel of Jesus Christ, protects you as you go to the words. In other words, what I would say is this, is that the gospel of Jesus Christ makes it so that when you're convicted by the word of God, when you're confronted by the law of God in all of your unholiness and by the beauty of who God is, that you're protected by the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus is the only one who is the true and perfect Psalm 1 man. He is the only man who truly meditates on the law day and night. He is the only man who perfectly lives out the law in every single way in his life. He does it perfectly. When you poke Jesus, if you poke the Pillsbury Doughboy, he says, he, he. When you poke Jesus, the word of God comes out. Literally, when they, when they poke him with swords, he says, he expresses words from the Old Testament. In fact, 20% of what Jesus says are literal quotations from the Old Testament. Every time he, when he opens his mouth, the word of God comes out. He is the true Psalm 1 man. It says in Hebrews 10, verse 7, that Jesus comes to delight in the law of God. He's the only one who is perfectly delighted in the law of God. And yet the beautiful thing is this, is that he, when he went before the Father on the cross, when God looked at him, he looked at the perfectly righteous man, and guess what? He treated him like what? Chaff. So that you and I, 
The ones who read our Bibles and we don't take it near as seriously. The ones who read our Bibles most days and we look at it and we just go, man, I just feel, I feel crushed by this. For us who read our Bibles and we go, man, the law of God is just weird and I don't want to obey this. So that we, the ones who are the truly wicked and unrighteous, those who should be blown away like chaff, might have this, might have the welcome of the Father who comes and says, come and read my words. Come meditate on the goodness of my character and my beauty. Come meditate on the greatness of my law and be changed, but don't be crushed. For Jesus has taken the crush of the law. He has taken all the weight of God's character upon himself, all of his wrath and all of his holiness, so that when you come before God the Father, you might meet with him and actually have a conversation with him and not be blown away in the sense of burned up like chaff in his presence so that you might be transformed and changed like metal in a purifying fire so that you might look more and more like Jesus in your life. This is the invitation to prayer. And this is why we pray in the name of Jesus. Because he's the one who makes it possible for you to meditate on God's word and to speak to God the Father without you being crushed. Praise be to God. Let's pray. Oh, gracious God, I pray that you would make us a people who sit. That you would make us a people who so desire to say hallowed be thy name and be moved to actually be led to worship that we'd be willing to get quiet in the dark places of our house to get uncomfortable with the silence to be cut by the conviction of your word to do the hard work of asking ourselves questions and asking the questions of the word until we feel the burn, until we feel the affection rise up within us, the awe and the amazement of who you are. I pray that you'd give by your spirit, thank you for your spirit, God, that when we open your word that he is living and active like a two-edged sword and that we would expect that when we open your word and when we come to talk to you that you have shown up and that you're there with us, and that you're waiting for us, and that we simply get to dwell with you. May that be the desire of our hearts, to delight in you, and you, and who you are through your word, and to experience your delight and your affection over us. And would it radically change us? Would it change us into a worshiping people, a people who love to pray, a people who prayer just falls out of us, as we reflect upon you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.